Well, Asia, I want to um, thank you for the opportunity to to show at Benel, and of course, I want to extend that thanks to um, to Benel um, and. Uh, also, um, I want to express my, my appreciation for uh, being able to show with Steve. I'm a huge fan of his work and uh, he's been a friend um, and a, uh, a co-worker um, since I moved to Alaska in 2015. So it's, it's definitely an honor to be able to have a show with, with him. So um, I'm going to jump right into the images and describe a little bit of background on each image. Uh, and then I wanna follow that with a little bit of background in terms of uh, sort of my, my frame of mind behind these, these works. Uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll go from there. So uh, this first one is called Reflection. Uh, the painting depicts Gull Island. <clears throat> A popular tourist destination in Kachemek Bay, the gulls, puffins, and murres that normally cover the island are absent on the rocks but are depicted only in the reflection. Massive seabird die-offs have spread across Alaska in recent years, hundreds of thousands of murres alone, and it is believed to be because of the loss of a once abundant food source due to warming waters. Um, so you can see there, um, it's, it's kind of small in the image, but you can see the presence of the birds in the reflection of the water and not on the rock. So the next one is called Symptoms of Paralytic Shellfish Poisoning. One of the most potent natural toxins, saxitoxin, is found around the globe, but especially up and down the coasts of the Pacific and the Chukchi Sea. With warming waters, frequency of the toxin created by algae blooms has increased. Alaska has the only coastal state government that does not regularly test its beaches for the presence of saxitoxin. This neurotoxin is known to have been weaponized by the US government for biological warfare prior to 1969. It is found regularly in shellfish harvested for subsistence year round off the Alaskan coast. I see the figures in this painting like actors on the stage acting out the symptoms of PSP, including um, the rapid heart rate, tachycardia, which is the figure on, on the left, um, numbness of the mouth, which is the figure sort of smack in the middle staring at the viewer, headache, uh, loss of control of limbs, sense of floating, excessive sweating, nausea, respiratory paralysis, and respiratory failure. Um, I wanted to include a bit of inspiration for this piece. I saw um, this particular uh, video by video artist Bill Viola um, titled Going Forth by Day. Uh, I believe I was traveling when I saw this. And it had a real impact on me. The, the entire scene um, is these, um, this rescue team comes out to this lake uh, searching for something. You don't know what they're searching for. They, they unload their gear and the light slowly changes into evening and then into night uh, and they fall asleep. And you're watching all this 
unfold in front of you in this wide, um, nearly life-size, um, or screen where the figures are nearly life-size. Um, and you just kind of wait in the silence while they sleep, and then um, out of nowhere, this figure sort of ascends um, through the water and off of the screen. Uh, that, that image, that this still, um, is also uh, harkens back to the, a lot of Baroque paintings. Uh, during the, the Baroque era, figures were no longer grounded. They were kind of, they became compositional elements and they, they um, were kind of where they were suspended in the air, they were ascending, they were descending. So suddenly the artists had a lot more in the way of uh, options in the way of composition. So this is a detail from the painting called Sense, and this is the, the symptom is Sense of Floating. Um, kind of a shout out to the Bill Viola piece. Another detail of four of the figures. This is uh, slightly less than life size. The figures are probably two thirds life size. Again, uh, so excessive sweating, nausea, and there's a scene of clamming going on in the background. So the way PSP works is um, the shellfish must be consumed and it affects uh, not just humans, it affects um, mammals, seabirds. Um. Okay, so moving on. Um, I did several studies. This is uh, study number one. Um, several little studies while I created these paintings. These studies explore the history of the herring fishery in Halibut Cove. Our large-scale herring fishery began in 1911 to catch and process herring that came to spawn in Kachemak Bay and pods of beluga, of beluga whales and harbor seals fed on the herring in Halibut Cove Lagoon. At the peak of the fishery, 38 herring salteries operated, operated in Halibut Cove to pack the herring in barrels for shipment. The fishery ended in 1928 when the herring population collapsed and the salteries stopped operating. Possible causes for the collapse include overfishing and pollution from the spawning areas. Large purse seines and gill nets were used to catch fish before they could reproduce and the salteries dumped fish waste on the beaches and in shallow waters, destroying spawning habitat. That was taken from uh, coastview.org. Um, so let me move on to the next. So these were, um, I was thinking about what it must have looked like with 38 uh, different herring salteries across the bay and um, all of these these um, these salteries dumping the that the fish guts right back into the very um, uh, breeding grounds that these fish existed in and what that must have done I mean that that uh, in part helped with the collapse of the population of herring and that's, I think the last time we, it has, 
the last time a beluga whale has been spotted in Kachemak Bay was, um, I believe, in the 1970s. So here's another study from, um, from that idea. I was also thinking about, um, so I, I, I find inspiration from, um, certainly from paintings, but almost more so from um, film and um, from books that I read. And this is a, a still from the documentary Leviathan uh, is a film directed by Lucien Castang-Taylor and Verena Paravel. Um, and it's about the American, the North American um, fishing industry, uh, at least the United States fishing industry. Um, and it's a really, it's almost filmed as if it's from the view of uh, the fish and it, it's, it, it's very raw in the way it's put together. Uh, so I was certainly thinking about this film when I was painting those little studies. And that also led to this piece called Harvest. Uh, the importance of salmon to the Alaskan ecosystem, the communities and the economy cannot be overstated. Every year, millions of salmon return to the rivers to spawn. Last summer, record temperatures heated many of these waterways above the threshold for salmon health. In Bristol Bay, home to the largest sockeye salmon fishery in the world, tens of thousands of fish washed up dead along the riverbanks, never reaching their spawning grounds and causing the state to close commercial fishing in several locations. Exceptionally low returns this season have already caused many closures across the state. Although it is difficult to narrow down the cause for the season's low return, the impact on the communities that depend on the salmon returning every year is evident. This is a, um, a large four foot by four foot uh, painting. Okay, I did, uh, so last summer we had the, the, well, the state of Alaska saw several significant wildfires. And here in the Kenai Peninsula, we had um, the Swan Lake fire, which lasted most of the tourist season. Um, Swan Lake fire was started by lightning on June 5th, 2019, during Alaska's longest drought on record. Low humidity and extreme heat fueled the fire throughout the summer and into the fall. The fire effectively cut off the Kenai Peninsula from the rest of Alaska during the normally busy tourist season, costing the communities of the peninsula millions in lost revenue. Alaska saw 719 wildfires that summer that burned over 2.5 million acres making it one of the largest fire seasons to date. Lightning used to be a rare, a rare occurrence in South Central Alaska, but as the state warms, both thunderstorms and droughts have increased, creating a perfect storm for disastrous fires. I also did a small study, uh, which was I did before the larger painting. Um, I ended up going with with a daytime scene just because I, I, I felt there was more, almost more um, sense of, uh, well, an uncomfortable feeling to what seems to be a very regular scene. I mean, you, you see, you would see this sort of scene on the hills above Homer 
during the summer and um, it's rather a, a common landscape uh, and then and so the fire is sort of this subtle um, this subtle element to create a, a sense of uncomfort as opposed to this where the fire is obviously much more um, in your face okay open for for business, the title from this piece is taken directly from the governor's mouth. Open for business reflects the three major industries that operate here in Ketchumak Bay, including tourism, fishing, and resource extraction, oil and mining. The health of both tourism, depicted here by the Danny J. I think I have a, so here's the Danny J. Uh, the health of both tourism and fishing relies solely on the fragile balance of our environment. This can be seen by the effects on the tourism industry from the Swan Lake fire last summer and the season's shutdown of multiple fisheries due to low salmon returns. The actions of the resource extraction industry depicted here by the Polarcus, which is the, the green and white boat on the left, um, have very real consequences on the former two industries. This painting, depicting an industrial disaster just off the canvas, so that disaster is seen just to the, the you can see the smoke coming from the right, um, and you can see a oil spill response happening on the, the right-hand side of the painting. Um, this painting depicts an industrial disaster just off the canvas and an oil spill response is, is meant as a response to the current administration's, um, and that's plural, both federal and state, move to sell Alaska to the highest outside bidders and their willingness to promote resource extraction to the detriment of Alaska's land environment and its people. Um, and here's just another, another detail. Um, okay, so I'm going to, well, I, I did a, um, a smaller uh, piece that also went in the show, and it, it was sort of, I saw it as a bridge between Steve's and my work. Um, I'm a, like I said, I'm a huge fan of his work, and I have a collection of his pieces, including this dodo bird. And the dodo bird um, has come throughout uh, society, has come to represent um, extinction, uh, well, the Anthropocene, extinction um, due, to, um, due to us. Um, okay, so I wanted to read a little bit to give you a background on um, this work. The works in this show, well, let me, let me give you a, my larger painting to focus on while I read here. The works in this show are part of a series titled Eat, Drink, and Be Merry. The inspiration for this title came from John McPhee's book, Encounters with the Arch Druid, about David Brower, American activist and environmentalist. McPhee quotes Brower as saying, I believe in wilderness for itself alone. I believe in the rights of creatures other than man. And I suppose I accept Nancy Newhall's definition Conservation is humanity caring for the future. It is the antithesis of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. 
of biblical origins, this phrase is also the rallying cry of consumer society. A shared view amongst most economists is that an economy must continue to grow. The leveling off of expansion is seen as the beginning of a failed system. Consumers must consume more so that industries can produce more so that corporations can return a profit to their shareholders. An economy's ability to consume, produce, and expand is otherwise known as GDP. It is how most economists measure the success of a country's economy. And today, we now see that this view of a successful economy is compatible, incompatible with another system, the ecosystem, where a leveling off is understood as a balance and expansion is akin to invasiveness. Despite our best efforts, we will always be a part of the animal kingdom and our economies will always exist within and ultimately be dictated by the larger natural ecosystem. Expansions within Expansion within balance, this is not possible. And the effects of this incompatibility is now being played out in front of our own eyes. The coronavirus is a zoonotic disease passed on from animal to human. A recent report by the UN warns of an, an increasing emergence of zoonotic diseases such as COVID-19. It identifies several human mediated factors, including a growing demand for animal protein, unsustainable farming practices, and the global climate crisis. Recently, economists and leaders are beginning to look at GDP as a measurement of success with skepticism. According to Forbes magazine, some decision makers are turning instead to the happiness index, a marker that focuses on the well-being of the citizens rather than an economic bottom line. This index would help governments use their budgets with the aim to increase the welfare of its citizens instead of the nation's gross domestic product. We are walking contradictions, all of us. This is human nature. The very paint I used to paint the mountains across the bay were mined out of someone else's mountain. The cotton to make the canvas I paint on was grown somewhere in a field cleared of native plants and animals. I use fossil fuels to make the Tacoma I drive run and to heat my cabin during the cold Alaska winters. Every day I get behind the wheel, I think about it, and yet I am still unwilling to go into debt to change this. I eat very little meat, I buy organic, I reach for the peanut butter that doesn't have palm oil, the kind you still have to annoyingly stir, and I bring my own bags. I buy things that don a fancy, quote, sustainable, unquote, label, I debate with friends whether with the latest technology an electric car truly does have less of a carbon footprint than a gas guzzler. Contradicting studies come out daily. What's the point of recycling if our discarded material simply gets sent on a cargo ship with a massive carbon footprint to another country on the other side of the planet? How much do my decisions make a difference? Recycle all you want and buy only LED bulbs, but you won't prevent 150 species from going extinct every day. It has been found that 100 energy companies are responsible for 71% of all industrial emissions since human-driven climate change was officially recognized. As soon as our species left the continent of Africa some 270,000 years ago, the world's biodiversity has been in decline. In addition to countless species of plants and animals, we drove the majority of megafauna of every continent we inhabited to extinction. Historically, this has been true of every continent but two, Antarctica for obvious reasons and Africa. 
and Africa because there our species evolved with the other species. And since the Industrial Revolution and the colonization of Africa, even these species are now disappearing. It is believed that our brains evolved as we began to eat cooked meat. We congregated around fires at the end of a successful hunt and developed language to tell stories from the day. Since our species first emerged, our brains have quadrupled in size, giving us the ability to imagine, to plan ahead, to weigh our decisions and possible outcomes. According to E.O. Wilson, naturalist, biologist, and writer, our brain growth has been, quote, the most rapid transformation in the complexity of an organism in the history of life, end quote. Because of this, we can build rocket ships and send people into space. Yet at our very core, we remain an animal. We share 99% of our DNA with our relatives, the chimpanzees. In his book, The Origins of Creativity, Wilson writes, Quote, we are ruled by emotions inscribed in our DNA by prehistoric events little known and only partly understood. Meanwhile, infinitely puzzled, we have been catapulted into a techno-scientific age that may in time serve instructions to robots well, but not the ancient values and feelings that keep us indelibly human, end quote. I would never argue that our capacity to imagine is inherently a bad thing but that very ability has allowed us to create a world that is now inhospitable, inhospitable even to us. And our primal instincts, fight or flight, the hair that stands up on the back of your neck, the very instincts that help us to protect our families in a dangerous situation, like being hunted by, by a saber-toothed cat, offered little help to such a complex disaster we are now facing. So what can we do? It is the gesture that makes the difference, not whether your actions have an immediate consequence. Time for us to stop debating paper or plastic. It's the daily gestures that spread through the community and gain momentum and turn into action, and the actions turn into a movement and the movement into real concrete change at the top. Eventually, the politicians and the corporations have to listen to the people demanding action. This exact chain reaction from the gesture to action to movement to change is happening right now with the current Black Lives Matter movement that is sweeping not just this country, but the globe and making real change. Witnessing this movement and its momentum, I truly have hope that we can unite and address the climate catastrophe. And it starts with your gestures in your community, but it doesn't end there. It ends at the very top with the politicians and the corporations. We can debate whether we truly make a difference as individuals, but remember we are a social species and it's the magnitude of a gesture that has the capacity to spark real change. I wanted to finish by playing um, a little excerpt. Uh, you'll recognize the voice. You can claim that we can achieve impossible results through so-called green investments without having to explain how it will be done or what the term green even means. Words like green, sustainable, environmentally friendly, organic, net zero, and fossil free are today so misused and watered down that they have pretty much lost all of their meaning. They can imply everything from deforestation to aviation, meat and car industries. And because the general level of public awareness is so low, 
you can still get away with basically anything. No one is held accountable. It's like a game. Whoever is best at packaging and selling their message wins. And since the truth is uncomfortable, unpopular and unprofitable, the truth doesn't stand much of a chance. Moral, truth, long-term and holistic thinking seem to mean nothing to us. The emperors are naked, every single one. It turns out our whole society is just one big nudist party. And that is, of course, Greta Thunberg from her uh, recently um, released podcast called Summer. Um, okay, so that that is it. Thank you, David. Thank you, David.